0: It's not having more time, it's choosing what we do with our time and what's important right now to do with our time.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, the mission of my show is twofold, to guide you to an encounter with your own potential and greatness, and to show you it is possible to leverage who you were made to be into a business or a platform that impacts the lives of others and helps you design the life that you want. My guests are entrepreneurs and leaders who have had what I refer to as an impact moment and are now using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. That all sounds great, right? But none of that is possible unless you take action. If you've listened to my show for any length of time, you know that each guest is part of a series such as leadership, mindset, courage, the comeback, and in this case, halftime. It's the middle of the year. You set out with some goals at the beginning of the year, and if you are on track with them, then congratulations, you're awesome. But if you're like me and most people, then you might have gotten off target or off your game plan over the course of the last six months. Now, however, is the perfect time to determine how the rest of the year will go for you and for me. What action will you take? When will you take it? And with whom will you take that action with? As I told somebody recently, it's time to grab the opportunity bull by the horns and write it into submission. One of my personal anthems is the song Hall of Fame by the band The Script. The lyrics remind me of what you and I are capable of achieving. The lyrics like these, you can throw your hands up, you can beat the clock, you can move a mountain, you can break the rocks, you can be a master, don't wait for luck, dedicate yourself and you're gonna find yourself. If you and I do this day in and day out, even if we fail but we get back up and we do it again, then we might stand a chance of standing in the hall of fame of our own life. My hope is that the guests you will hear from these next few weeks will stoke your thinking, inspire you to believe in yourself again, and take action, even if it means walking into the wrong room. That last bit will make more sense when you hear from Steve Sims. Now enough from me, it's time to hear from our incredible guests. Todd Stottlemyre grew up around Yankee Stadium. His father, Mel Staldemeyer, was an all-star pitcher for the New York Yankees. Growing up, Todd was surrounded by what he refers to as a school of champions, legends like Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Thurman Munson, and Yogi Berra. Growing up in that environment inspired Todd to dream of following in his dad's footsteps and playing in Major League Baseball. Todd's dream came to life in the form of a goal where he became obsessed with seeing it through. His parents were a huge influence and believed that he should pursue his dreams. He can still remember his dad saying, whatever you decide to do, Todd, give it everything you have and be the best you can possibly be, whether that's playing baseball or digging a ditch. Things weren't always easy for this super talented, high-performing family, though. When Todd was just 15 years old, his younger brother, Jason, died after fighting leukemia for an extended period of time. This, as you might imagine, devastated Todd, but it was his father's leadership that carried the day. It is still a tough subject for Todd to talk about, as you will hear in our conversation, but the community around him lifted him up, and he credits the experience with helping him become the man he is today. Todd spent 15 seasons in Major League Baseball and landed on three World Series championship teams. He learned some incredible lessons in his journey playing Major League Baseball. He had some of the greatest coaches and mentors along the way, and he played with some of the most gifted and talented athletes in the world and had a front row seat to their goals, their mindsets, their training, their failures, and their successes. He learned something from each and every one of them and he's going to share a lot of that with you today. So bust out your pens and papers, take some notes, and brace for impact. Todd Stottlemyre, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. We are excited to have you and feature you in the series I'm calling halftime. Middle of the year, baby.
0: Mike, how are you, sir? It's been, uh, we've tried to coordinate schedules. I had some uh, some conditions and everything <laughs> else. You, you're persistent. I'll say that, and I appreciate it because it's an honor and a pleasure
1: to be here with you, sir. Well, I'm uh, I'm grateful to have you. And uh, I, I recently heard that persistence trumps brilliance almost every day. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you come from a family of high achievers. Your dad was a pitcher for the Yankees. He played alongside the likes of Yogi Bara and Mickey Mantle. How old were you when you realized? how unique your family was? Well, I don't actually, you know, it's crazy. That's a great question. I don't, I'm not sure we were unique. I
0: would tell you that the thing that maybe made it unique was that uh, the, this playground that my brothers and I grew up in that we call Yankee stadium. And, and back in the sixties, mid sixties, early seventies, I was born in 65. So from the time I could walk, I was roaming the grounds of Yankee Stadium. Uh, You know, you mentioned Mickey Mantle. And it's pretty crazy to think that every day my dad went to Yankee Stadium where he worked, right, where he was a three-time 20-game winner and a five-time All-Star. The boys, the kids would jump in the car with him. We put on our Yankee uniforms. And, you know, I'd be standing side by side in the outfield grass during batting practice with the likes of people like Mickey Mantle. So I will tell you that I look back on that childhood now. I'm humbled. I'm grateful. I pinch myself uh, because, uh, you know, it was kind of like going to the school of champions, just surrounded around people uh, that had the mindset that said, I can, you know, I am and I will. And. And I believe that those are great words to live by, but you know, there wasn't can't there was always focus, a big vision. Uh, it was just incredible to be around and be inspired by some of the elite athletes of the world.
1: Was there a moment in your adolescence where you kind of have that light switched and you recognized that you were surrounded by the school of champions? I love that by the way.
0: Yeah. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was so funny, we'd play, we were just like any other kid growing up in New York, New Jersey, and and we played the street ball games with the broomstick and the tennis balls and the wiffle balls, and we played the street games. But it was like, it was that holler from my mother uh, that said, hey boy, you know, yelling into the streets, dad's headed to the stadium. It was like life stopped on the street. We took off running. And, uh, to throw the Yankee uniforms on pile into the car and, and, you know, early on, it was so funny. It was like, well, we didn't see it as special or different, um, because we didn't know what, you know, the other kids, what their fathers did. We just assumed like, uh, everybody was living the same way. And, and, but as we got older, you know, as I'm getting seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, hanging around Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, going to, going to things like family day, they would have family day. And pretty soon, uh, there's people in the stands that are watching sons play fathers and sons play, or the kids play the fathers. And we all had our uniforms on. And I remember somebody one day asked me to, for my autograph and I, I, and I printed T O D D on the thing. And I thought that was the weirdest thing, but (laughs) I think that's when it kind of hit me like, Wow this is a different world. Once again, I, I never took it for granted. I'm grateful and thankful that I got to be around those people. We created relationships uh, with those people and because of them and because of that environment, it inspired me to dream like never before. And And I had this belief system uh, that was being empowered by my environment that, that if I wanted to play Major League Baseball that it was possible for me to. So was that your dream then to play major league baseball? Yeah, we became obsessed, man. And it was like, uh, it's all we thought of. You know, I, I remember it was like, man, dad's got the coolest job in the world. He plays a game. He plays a sport. He calls it a job. And and we were like, uh, my brothers and I we were like, man, when we grow up, we want to do what, what our dad's doing. So, you know, it, it, the dream became a, a not just a goal, but it became an obsession. It became that every time we were on a baseball field, we were preparing for our major league careers. And that was our mindset as kids.
1: Yeah. So your, your dad was a major league pitcher. Your brother, Mel jr. Is a pitching coach for correct. The the Mariners, right? The Seattle Mariners. Yep. Okay. And, and you played baseball. Did your brother, did Mel play uh, major league baseball as well. Yep. He, uh, he only, he only played a half a season in the major leagues. He, he ended up
0: uh, hurting his shoulder. Uh, it was unfortunate and then never was able to come back and, and get healthy in order to compete at that level. So, but he did play a half a year in the big leagues.
1: You know, I think a, I have four kids. I think you have four or five, Yeah, five kids. And I, I believe that it's always a father's dream for their kids to do something bigger and better than, than they've created. And that's my hope for my kids. My kids are really young, 11 down to age six. And so they don't, they're not even really cognizant of, of what their full potential is yet. And I'm trying to develop that every single day. But did you ever feel like you were living in your dad's shadow as you, as you began to embark on your major league baseball career? through my
0: actually not only growing up but through my entire career i was in those shadows and you know he played for a story franchise number one and number two was uh being a three time 20 game winner being a five-time all-star for a story franchise in 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 new york city is going to be pretty tough to measure up right and And but, you know, my father did such an incredible job because, you know, the critics, they were out there. Hey, you guys aren't like your dad. Yeah. Even our friends and friends of family, uh, as we were growing up, they were like, okay when this doesn't work out, what's your plan B? What are you going to do if this doesn't work out? And we even had people say to us, what are you going to do when this doesn't work out? And I was like, man, I just we just didn't think that way. And it was kind of like, what do you mean if it doesn't work out or when it doesn't work out? And and I think that one of the advantages we had is we didn't understand the percentages of how difficult it was going to be to follow in my father's footsteps. And we just never gave any power or any or even thought about how tough it could be. We just had this obsession that that's the way it was gonna be and and just didn't think any other way. And you know, you mentioned something earlier there about full capacity or, or all of your potential. And, and I believe that we're surrounded. Matter of fact, John Maxwell's got a new book out about limits and he talks about this in his book about uh, how most people only live to 40% of their capacity. That means that every, almost every person on the planet could be 100% better or more. And that's pretty crazy to think, you know, and, and, but there's no question that we were in the shadows. My father did an extraordinary job of always saying, hey, don't be like me. You be the best version of you. And if that's playing baseball, great. If it's not playing baseball, that's okay. That's great too. Matter of fact, he had a great line. He used to say, if you're going to dig ditches, be the best at it that you can be. And he always said as a father, he says, my only hope for you is that you guys become everything that you can be and everything that you want to be.
1: I would imagine he was probably pretty honest with you guys, too, as you began to embark this career on how difficult it was going to be, that you guys were probably fully up to the task. But but then it's going to be hard and don't, don't expect just because you're my kids that you're going to get first crack at everything.
0: Right. You know, I, I would tell you having the last name style on the back of our jerseys, no question. It probably opened some doors, but you know, one of my lines was that I was born the son of a major leaguer. I was not born a major leaguer. That part was up to me, you know, Um, you know, look, it's not always the people uh, with the most talent. And by the way, Uh, We developed our talent because we probably played baseball more as a young person than most people did because we're hanging around Yankee Stadium. So it wasn't like I was born with the DNA and genetics and said, "Okay, this little baby right here is going to be grow up and be a major league baseball player. But that's the environment I was in. So those are the skills we developed. And because we probably did it more often,
1: you know, uh, we just got the most out of our ability. I love that. I love that. You know, there was a moment early in your career since we're talking about your dad and Yankee stadium, you know, where I think you were like 25 years old and it was father's day. It was, I believe one of your first games that you were pitching in Yankee stadium and you were on the verge of a, of a shutout. I'd love to, to get the background of that story, like from start to finish, like what your hopes were, your emotions. Why that game was so important to you, and how you felt when the shutout didn't happen? You know that that's
0: a that's got a that's actually a crazy story because um, uh, first of all, it was Father's Day. It was in Yankee Stadium. I was a young pitcher. I'd never thrown a shutout in the major leagues. I didn't go into the game thinking shutout. I went into the game that um, this is a place. These are the grounds I roamed as a kid, and you know it was kind of like. I want to win this game today. And I want to be the winning pitcher against the New York Yankees, uh, uh, the team my father played for in the same stadium that I grew up in. And it was just so cool. It would have been like, you know, winning and beating the New York Yankees on father's day, a place I grew up and then to take the shutout into the ninth inning uh, and then to have the shutout, you know, basically uh, Matt Noakes came up with two outs in the ninth. He was the pitch hitter. The funny thing about that is, you know, and he hit the first pitch out of the ballpark and it's like, there goes the shutout. Uh-huh. What people don't know is five days earlier, I was pitching in Detroit and Matt Noakes was a part of the Detroit Tigers five days earlier. And I took a, I took a shutout into the ninth inning against the Detroit Tigers five days earlier. And with two outs in the ninth, Matt Noakes hit a home run. <laughs> it's like, how could this be? Right? Right from the, he he ruined my shutout in Detroit when he was with the Tigers by hitting a home run in the ninth inning with two outs, by the way, five, he got, he gets traded in from in between my starts. Five days later, I'm pitching against the New York Yankees in Yankee stadium. They pinch hit him in the ninth with two outs and he comes up and he goes deep and I'm like, this is unbelievable.
1: <laughs> How did you deal with, especially in that moment, because it had already happened once now it's father's day in your childhood playground. Uh, I know your mom's there. I don't know if your dad was there, by the way, this is, this is an article I read from the New York times in 1990. How did you process the disappointment? You know, I was
0: disappointed about the shutout with no question, but you know, to pitch nine innings, I don't know. I think we won the game seven to one, eight to one, nine to one or something like that. But, uh, You know the the win, the team win is always the most important. I I, you know it's like I, I I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to win in Yankee Stadium on Father's Day in a place I grew up. Yes, it was disappointing because at that particular time I still hadn't recorded a shutout in Major Leagues. That part it was kind of a it was a little bit bittersweet, but you know I got over the bitterness because the win was the most
1: important. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the shutout would have been the the cherry on top of the cake. So for sure, for sure. When did you start believing in in you? Not only you obviously possessed the skills, you're you come from a very talented athletic family, and there was a certain natural talent there. But when did you start believing in you and in your potential and what you could accomplish?
0: Yeah, great question. Actually, you know, love the game of baseball all through growing up. From the time though that I left little league baseball, the time of twelve, I never pitched again until I was a senior in high school. And I always played up, and because I was playing with the older kids, my brother was seventeen months older. Um, they always had people that were you know bigger and stronger and faster and and here I was this little guy just trying to you know compete my brains out to keep up with the older kids so I never pitched and they always had you know better better stronger faster guys on the team and and my brother was one of those people you know or one of those kids and 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 then when my brother he was a year ahead of me in in high school so uh, he was one of the pitchers and we had another guy. He was one of the starting pitchers and you only needed two in high school. You played, you know, a couple days a week. So I was a middle infielder. I just loved playing the game and competing and playing baseball. My mindset that I was going to college kind of as a middle infielder, third baseman slash third baseman or some, you know, play infield or something in college. And, and I went to my high school coach after my brother had left, you know, and I said, hey, look, we need another pitcher. I don't know how well I'll do, but I know this, I can throw strikes. And he was like, well, let's give it a shot. And then I ended up going 10-0 and 0 and I broke every school record and I had no idea. But I had the instinct of the game, obviously, cause I was around the game. I had great mechanics because of my father and great throwing mechanics. And the ball just literally started, you know, I grew and into my senior year, ball started flying out of my hand. I started attracting a lot of scouts into a small town watching me pitch. And it was then at that moment where I thought, man, all of this work, this obsession, all the days at Yankee Stadium, all the days playing baseball, I was like,
1: man, this thing can really happen. And that was when I was a senior in high school. Wow. Wow. I mean, what a what an amazing experience, too, where you just all of a sudden that clicks. Yeah, it was so much fun. I got to tell
0: you, you know, and I had no idea I was in high school that I was that good. I was just playing and just having fun. But, you know, the ball was flying out of my hand and it become, you know, where I, I didn't really take the pitcher's mound with this extreme focus. I was just playing the game and the results and, and everything started to happen for me. Uh, one game led to another. It began to feed on feet on itself. And, you know, I throw a no hitter, strike out 10, 12, 15 guys in a high school game started to get all this attention. And, uh, you know, and then my father, which was really cool at that time, he was home and, uh, you know, he wasn't in baseball, my senior year in high school. So he was a part of my senior year in high school and really helped me oh, wow. kind of get through, overcome all the radar guns behind the deal he kept saying, ignore all the scouts. It's not, you know, your job is just to focus on the game and getting hitters out. And he really helped me with my mindset where I was going through all of a sudden national attention.
1: I love that. And you know, there's, I didn't even think about that. Two things that, that come to mind. Number one is the importance of play, like focusing on playing your game and, and having fun and not focusing necessarily on the work aspect of it. And the second thing is filtering out distraction because not only do you have all of the fans in the in the in the seats, but now you've got radar guns, probably three, four, five behind behind home plate. And you've got scouts in the stands with their clipboards taking notes. And you're Todd Stademeyer and you're Mel Stodemeyer's son. And you're I mean there's got to be this pressure. So so how amazing was it to have your dad who experienced all of that pressure on a major scale to be there in your in your in your bench so to speak coaching you along the way. Incred- well yeah, very special
0: and it wasn't the typical I don't want to say the typical Father son relationship, you know, when my dad talked about baseball, we listened, you know. And a lot of times, you know, dads and kids, you know, they have a hard time coaching their kids. You know, that that wasn't the case for us because we had so much respect for what he accomplished um, and so much trust. But uh, have, you know, because it was a small town, Yakima, Washington, and 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 all of a sudden, you know, one scout showed up, and then there was two, and then there was three. By the time I pitched my last game in high school. There were 20, 30 radar guns. There was probably 50 different scouts. I mean, it was almost like a circus when I pitched and, and it was, and and, and all of this popularity was starting to grow. And it was pretty crazy for our town to all of a sudden have 30, 40, 50 scouts watching a high school baseball game, uh, but without my father there, without his direction. Uh, and it, I I believe it would have been easy to get caught up into, uh, but he kept me so focused, and he, and, you know, and he kept saying, he says, you know, it doesn't even matter what those guys think. It doesn't matter what you record on the radar gunny, because the only thing that matters is number one, you help your high school baseball team win their game, and don't forget that's what you're doing out there. And he was able to take. All of this stuff that was going around, all this media, this circus, and and then remind me, I'm a high school baseball player playing for a high school baseball team uh, where I have teammates that are counting on me. Just go out and, and have fun and be the best you can be and go compete. My dad always used to say, go compete, you know, let it all hang out, compete as hard as you can compete. And there was a great reminder Uh, We were playing American Legion baseball game and it was early on. I was 16. I remember walking out of the stadium one day with dad Dad and he said, he said to, to my brother and I, he says, hey, you guys having fun out there? And we're like, yeah, man, dad is, yeah, we love what we're doing. And he says, you know, watching the game, he says, it doesn't look like you're having fun. And he said, you know, you guys don't have to play baseball. He says, matter of fact, you should only play the game of baseball if you're having fun playing baseball and if you're not having fun do something else he said and then he reminded us the only thing i care about is that number one you're going to have fun if you're going to play the game of baseball i want you to have fun number two i just want you to be the best you can be and i remember as i was walking out the parking lot i was like you know I never want my dad to have that vision again, again, that we weren't having fun. We weren't playing as hard as we could play. And it was just a subtle little coaching moment with my father as we walked out of the stadium.
1: How old were you? 16. Oh, wow. I mean, what a, what a, what a pivotal moment too. It was life changing for me yeah. as I played yeah. the game, you know, for yeah. sure. It you know? rained forever. Yeah. You know, the other thing you mentioned is that he really coached you on, focusing on helping your team win and what your job was in that particular moment wasn't to worry about the scouts or major league ba- the, the scouts or major league baseball or anything of that nature. It was to focus on that moment, the next pitch, the next batter and, and helping your team your team win. I mean, it's Absolutely. a powerful lesson. Yep, yeah, that's it. You guys have a very tight family. I've heard you describe your relationship with your dad and your brother Mel junior as your best friends you guys are best friends basically which is very unique for a father and a son relationship to for that to to be called, referred to as a best friendship but i think it's because you, you guys went through a very challenging time early on in in your life when you were a kid your younger brother jason passed away we've talked about your brothers you've mentioned him but we haven't called him out by name and i'd like to share his name because i think That story is a pivotal moment in your life, not only as a son, as a brother, but also as an athlete and a human being that can go out and impact the rest of the world. So, what was the impact when your brother passed away from cancer at at a young age when he was 11, I believe? What impact is your family's response, specifically your dad's response? have in your life well
0: you know there was there's so much there and 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 you mentioned though said the term and word pivot and it was absolutely a massive pivot in my life and and uh, you know jason at 11 it was his third time the disease leukemia had attacked his body uh the previous two times uh he he was able to overcome through chemotherapy and the treatments and the radiation, the spinal taps, and all the things that he had to do uh, to fight the disease. And he was able to overcome it and go into remission. But this third bout, the doctors went to my parents in uh, Seattle's Children's Orthopedic Hospital, Seattle's Children's Cancer Hospital. They went to my parents and they said that his really his only chance for uh, long-term survival would be a bone marrow transplant. Now, this is back in 1981, so you know, decades ago. But he was 11, I was 15, and uh, so everybody in the family uh, had to get their blood tested, and they wanted, uh, if possible, the closest match inside of our family to be the person who gave the bone marrow, and and my blood matched his perfectly um and and they were really really pleased with my blood and his blood and you know our body types were a lot alike and and uh everything was very very similar so you know i go in to give him the bone marrow transplant and you know a bone marrow transplant is uh doctors you know them put me under going to surgery injecting needles you know 250 to 275 times into my bones and the hips extract all the marrow Right then, put it in a, 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 a cleanse it. Put it into a bag, an IV bag, and then inject it into my little brother's body. And they did that. And and for me, it was like, man, I have a chance. I have a chance to lay down, and and I have a chance to give my little brother life. And 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 um, you know, I went into it that way, and 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 then for him to receive the marrow, and it looked like that everything was a success and, and, um, you know, he was obviously being monitored and, and on a daily basis. And, and it got to a point where I remember he was like literally roaming the halls of the hospital and, and they were talking about a release from the hospital and, and kind of a long-term plan, checking back, checking back once a month and, and that he was going to be going on with his life. And and then two days before his scheduled release, he went into a coma, never came out of it, and then passed. And, and I remember, man, it was so tough. Uh, I remember that the sadness was, of course, that's normal for the family. Uh, but I carried two other emotions, and that was uh, guilt. I, I felt so guilty, and I had so much hate inside of me. I was so mad, I was so mad at the world. I was I felt so guilty. I felt like it was me that that in uh, my marrow that killed my little brother. And I remember that our drive back home without my little brother for the first time is we never had that vision. We had a vision we were going to be driving home together. It was a two hour ride over the mountains uh, from Seattle to into Yakima. And it was hell, man. It was like it was like it was dead silence in our vehicle driving home. And the thought that we were all going home as a family without, you know, missing a family member. And 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 the, just the, how I felt on the inside. um, Almost as if I'd let my family down. And it, it was it was you know, as a 15 year old kid, it was, it was extremely difficult. You know, obviously, you know, I'd done all I can do and, and, you know, we were praying and hoping for a miracle and it was going to be a miracle if it worked out. But, you know, those are, those emotions that I had at the time were so real and uh life changing man. And and at that moment I was like, I just remembered and I could feel the sense of having no control and no control over the outcome. And because of it, I had this, this burning hate uh outside of the sadness that that we couldn't control it, that he wasn't going home with us. And and from that point moving forward, uh, extremely difficult for me that anytime I got into a situation, if it was competitive and 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 as I started to lose control, it was like something ignited inside of me, but, uh, you know, I'll never forget the fr- walking into our home, uh, for the first time. Um, uh, you know, obviously can't, I can't even imagine what it was like for a mother and father, but my mother went to her knees and, and, um, to walk, to walk back into that home without even, and, um, whew, I'm sorry, Mike. No, tough? no, no, it's, it's still tough. Yeah. I remember my dad pulling us together in the living room and, and uh, kind of we huddled up as a family. And uh, I think, you know, when I look back, it was probably the greatest form of leadership I've ever seen in my entire life that during the worst of circumstances, during this tragic time for this family where I'd lost a brother, my father had just lost a son, he had to stand. Um, In the middle of that living room, huddled up, huddled us up and say, look, we're going to stick together and and we're never going to forget Jason. He's going to always be here with us. But we we as a family are going to be able to move on, but we are going to stick together as a family in doing it. And I can't even imagine what my father's emotions were going through, that in the midst of all this pain he was going through, losing a son, he had to stand up and, and and provide that type of leadership for our family. I'll never forget it.
1: Amazing. And, and thank you so much for sharing that story. It's obvious that it still strikes to the core of who you are and has influenced who you became. And who you continue to be today as you lead your own family. And I'd love to learn a little bit about the process that you've gone to through to take turn from that that burning kind of hate feeling to turning that into something that's life giving.
0: Mm. So, you know, it was It was, uh, you know, this this turn of, you know, I don't don't even know if I was aware of it. You know, I was 15. My my father actually spoke about it in his book and and about how um, literally, you know, my whole mindset shifted overnight. I went from this laid back kid to this kid that was just, you know, all out and everything I competed against and. And but, you know, what I learned later in life was that um, it was, you know, this this hated guilt and and that was buried inside of me would come out sometimes uh, in the worst of moments or when I was competing and when things weren't going right. Um, It was like this animal uh, that lived inside of me would come out and and. You know, it was actually into my major leagues uh, and career that in 1993, I, I realized like, man, I, I need help. And because, you know, it's like here I am living out my childhood dream. But when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I seen. You know, and it's like it's pretty crazy that when you look into a mirror, it was like I, I it, it was so it was so like lifeless because I didn't like what I was looking at. And I knew I needed help and I needed I needed change, man, because um, and 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 in 1993, you know, I'm I'm five years into my major league career. I'm living out my childhood dream. I'm at a place where I should be, you know, have massive fulfillment. And I don't. And, and I still have lots of frustration it was a little more than a decade later. And, and uh, a friend of mine reached out to me, Jeff Musselman who was a roommate of mine in, in minor league baseball that went on to play in the major leagues. And today is the president of the Boers corporation. And, and he became, you know, he was one of my best friends in the minor leagues. And then we played a little bit in Toronto together and, and Jeff, you know, reached out to me and they didn't even represent me, but he reached out to me as a friend and said, you know, Todd, He said, there's this guy, Harvey Dorfman, you really should talk to him. And he's this big time sports psychologist Had written books and this and that. He says, I just believe he'd really help you. And I said, and I kind of like took the call was after we'd won the world series. And I'm like, Hey man, thanks Jeff. But, uh, you know, and it kind of moved on and into the winter, but, you know, it started to really give me, you know, he planted that seed into my mind. He doesn't even know this to this day, probably, uh, but he planted that seed into my mind. And, and then a guy who was really, I really looked up to and and a guy who mentored me. And it was a guy by the name of Dave Stewart, who, who I competed against with uh, head on against uh, when he was with the Oak, o- Oakland athletics. And then we became teammates in Toronto. And, I called Dave, and I said, Dave, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, I'm going to say a name, and, and he was on the phone, and I said, when I say this name, I, I need you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. See, because I wanted it totally, you know, just like whatever whatever came to his mind. I, he says, I said, are you ready? He said, yeah, I'm ready. I said, I said, Harvey Dorfman. He says, you have to go see him. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I needed, man. And I wanted— I wanted validation that that if I went and seen this guy, that it would be the right thing. And I hung up from Dave. I called this guy, Harvey Dorfman. And I said, Harvey, this is Todd Stottlemyer." He had this deep voice. He's like, hey, champ, how are you? And I'm like, hey, Harvey, I said, listen, man, you come highly recommended. I said, uh, I said, I need to spend some time with you. So I booked a time with him. I spent 12 hours nonstop, no breaks in a hotel room. And we laughed and we cried, and I mean, I peeled back the layers of this hate and this guilt, and it all came down to, in the last hour, and even maybe in the last 30 minutes, it came down to this, and Harvey, and I'll never forget this, and I've lived by this um, since then, he says, you know, somebody can take your body. They can physically harm you. They can hurt you physically but they cannot never take your mind. No one can ever take your mind unless you give it to them. (laughs) And he says, champ, when you're out there pitching in the game and things get rough, he says, the hitters, you're giving your mind to those opposing hitters and it's causing you pain. And he says, and I know, and I understand that that pain in that place you're coming from. And we had peeled it all back. And then, Uh, I went into a seven-day challenge, and that seven-day challenge is I had to be 100% aware of every moment I was in uh, as I was awake during the day, everything that I was going through, every moment, and it had to be, and I had to record every emotion, and the goal was I was not allowed to give my mind away, that no one was able to be Uh, Create any kind of deal around what I was thinking, my emotions, and it was a seven day challenge, and it was the greatest seven day challenge in my life, and it was life changing.
1: Oh my gosh, powerful! Have you ever heard of Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning? I haven't. Oh man, you need to read that book because that what Harvey shared with you is is one of the core tenets of Viktor Frankl's teaching. He was a psychiatrist during World War II. In Austria, his family was picked up by the Gestapo, sent to a Nazi concentration camp. On day one, his pregnant wife, his mother and father were put in the gas chamber, and Victor was sent to a working camp. And so on one day, he lost his entire family (coughs) and future. And he spent the next two years developing what be, what would become his core teaching as a psychiatrist and he wrote 9 months after he was released he wrote a book called man's search for meaning in which he said the last human freedom that no one can take from you is the ability to choose your attitude wow awesome and it's so powerful and it's so true because the other thing he talks about is in between the stimulus and the response is a choice. Oh, that's it. You know, and it's so powerful. And and it's the same thing. If you think about it, like you're pitching a ball and you know, it's a strike, but the ump calls it a a ball and you're like, that's it. And you're jammed up in the, and you need, you needed that strike. You have a choice, right? Right in that moment. And and we can apply that in every area of life. 2063 connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call you had an incredibly successful career you were described as an emotional player but that's obvious where that emotion came from and you were through this process with Harvey you were able to to channel that energy and ultimately you retired in 2002 and then became active in building your businesses. When we fast forward to today, you're now the author of a new book that's coming out called "Relentless Success: A Nine Point System for Major League Achievement." So why why now? Why not before? Why now?
0: Yeah, man, that. By the way, that's the big question, and it was I was two years ago. Um, you know, my father has been battling multiple myeloma, uh, blood cancer for the last 16 years. And, and, uh, two years ago, uh, I got the emergency call from my mother. Um, they're up in Seattle. I live in Phoenix. And, and my mom was like, you you need to get here as fast as you can. And, and I could hear it in my mom's voice that it wasn't good and literally um, got a, got a flight out that night, raced to the airport, got on an airplane from Phoenix, flew, landed in Seattle. When we, when I landed in Seattle, I had no idea what we were going to be walking into. I didn't know if my dad was going to be alive. I didn't know. I just, I heard something different in my mother's voice on that phone call. And, and we went into the hospital. My brother was there. I was there. And And my mother, of course, now I remember walking into the hospital, he was running a fever of over 105 and just, you know, the treatments and the battle of this cancer, you know, the treatments were wearing on his body and, 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 uh, you know, and, 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 but over the last four or four plus years, my mother has 911, my father, (laughs) uh, over 40 times. I mean, it's been, I mean, his battle and, and this warrior-like, uh, this warrior-like guy that, that's just fighting for the next day, it, it's been incredible. But here's, here's what's nuts was that it get, we get up there, it's an emergency flight, dad's not doing well, 105, delirious, not really sure where he's at, you know, not, not doing well. Three days later, he leads our family out of the hospital. We're all looking at each other like, wow, what in the world, man? It's like, how's this guy, man? He's got, he's got this fight in him like we've never seen in And as dad is leading us out of the hospital, we're all kind of walking behind him like this is crazy. And, and, uh, you know, we get to his house and he says to me, he says, Hey, Todd, he says, let's take a drive in the mountains up in Sammamish. And I'm like, okay, great. And I jump into his truck and he gets in the passenger seat and he kind of guiding me and telling me where to go. And, and we're driving through the mountains. He says, man, there's some beautiful homes up here. He says, you know, Todd, he says, I've always wanted to own a home in the mountains. He says, you know, someday I might buy a home in the mountains. And it clicked to me. And he's like, and I was like, someday, he said, someday I might buy a home in the mountains. See, my father was going through some incredible circumstances, but he refused to give any power to those. And the, all the power in his entire mindset was was a life he was going to live in the future. And I was like, man, we're uh, you know, twenty four hours ago we were just fighting for his life. Uh, now we're taking a drive in the mountains. He's talking about a vision and a lifetime, and, and 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 he sees himself someday buying a house, and and I remember at that moment, I was like, wow, that's so powerful. And, and then that night, we got to his house, and I'm staying in the guest bedroom, and I am I remember I couldn't sleep, and I'm looking at the ceiling above, and, and at that moment, everything changed for me. I said, you know, everything in my life has been about me. Everything has been about my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, and it's been about, you know, everything that I could accomplish. And, but what I realized at that moment was I've had incredible mentorship and lessons from some of the greatest athletes, coaches, people in business, and my father. And you know that I haven't given those lessons away to other people. I've kept them all for myself, for my own self achievement, for me, 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 and me. And I remember at that moment, I was like, you know what? I've had an extraordinary life. I've been blessed, I've been so fortunate. I said, but that was the first part of my life. The second part of my life is I want to see if I can help others live their championship life, whatever their championship life is going to be. For me, it was for, for me, it was playing a game on a baseball field and and then going into the business world and everybody's baseball field or championship life looks different. But the system for success is all built around the same principles. So it doesn't matter whether it's business or it's family or it's health, this system and this nine-point system that I developed, and it wasn't like I developed it, it was the development of other people that were around me during that chapter, that story in my life that said, here's what we got to do in order to help you get from this step to the next step. And it was like, and this book is really me sharing the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and downs of real life, my life, going through uh, everything from triumph to tragedy or tragedy to triumph. And yet the collection of people who were around me to help me get to the next place in my life, I call the nine point system for success. And so why now? The now is is there was this revelation that came over me was why am I holding it in? Why am I not sharing it with people? And I thought, I remember I went home from the, I got home from that trip. I got, I walked into my home. I looked at my wife. I said, I'm going to write a book. And she was like, Todd, and she goes, I know people pay you to speak around the world and you make up words on stage, but your <laughs> grammar is so bad. She's like, your grammar is so bad. How I said, don't worry. I said, we'll hire some editors to take care of all the grammar. And we kind of <laughs> laughed about it, but she was so, my wife was encouraged me, like, you have to do it. And she was like, about time. And I was like, you know, but I I never had the desire to move forward on a book or thought I was like, what value would I, you know, have in a book? But at this moment, all the value and all the reasons why I should write the book came to me, and it was out of the inspiration of my father watching this warrior have this mindset—a
1: focus not on today but on tomorrow—and it was incredible. So powerful. And you brought up a really, really good point that I don't want people to miss, and and that is, you're not a writer, and yet you you still wrote a book, and and so you had the passion. And you had the opportunity, but you didn't possess the skill set, but you didn't let that stop you. You either could develop the skill set or you could hire the skill set. right? And I think that that is one of the, the things that stops people before they start even is, is they, they, they're they passionate about something and there might be an opportunity, yet they don't possess the skill set. And so they're like, well, not me.
0: Mike, man, you're nailing it. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, and, and it's one of the things I'm out there telling people. It's like, man, let's let's open up those childlike dreams again. What, what do you have on your heart? What are the desires to forget about the know how we'll go? We'll figure out what skill set you got to develop. And 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 in this book, I, didn't, I had no idea where to start, but I, I knew this. That nine point system has been every single part of my life. And I was like, OK. So it's like, what are the behaviors? What is the What was the skills? What do I got to learn? I knew I needed to do that. And I was like, so my publisher, I went to my publisher. I said, look, I need a coach. So uh, Brian Heathman from Made for Success, he goes, look, I'll coach you. I'll help you. I said, because I have no idea. And I knew a coach could shorten my learning curve. And he helped me develop the storyline and he helped me put it all together. And then it was just a matter of me pouring the stories out. But when am I going to have time? And people's excuse all the time is we're so busy being busy is there's no time. I was no different, man. I'm running a company. I'm a father of five. I'm I'm a husband and I have all these other things going on in life. So I had to figure out and I had to pencil the time. in. so I actually wrote the book from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., and it was a place where I could have total silence, no distractions, and just let the stories uh, come out. So, you know, I had to make up the time. But, uh, you know, I followed the system. I had no, no skill set to write. I had the stories. I had the system. I knew what I wanted to say. And and I went out and, and I just followed my system through this book. And what was funny was, you know, we broke the writing plan down to 800 word increments. And that was the way, that was how my mind worked. I said, look, I got to develop a plan. And so we broke the storylines down to 800 word increments. And, and I said, okay, said so from start to finish, I said, what are we looking at from a length of time? And, 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 and my coach, the publisher, he says, probably about three months doing this, fitting it in. I said, okay. I said, I can do that. And I remember I started my journey and I started writing and then it built momentum and I started to really get into the process. And, and, and I took a, a three month time frame down to six weeks. And I remember when I was done, I delivered it to the publisher and I said, here you go, I'm finished. And he says, what do you mean you're finished? I said, I got all those stories written. He goes, Todd, he says, you're, you're building an international business. He says, "You got family. You're doing this. You've been up with your father, your and your mother, and you're, you're traveling." How I got, I go from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., boss. I wrote the book, and <laughs> he, he was blown away. But and the process was grueling. But the fact of the matter is that when you really want to get something done, that time is not the issue. And I tell people all the time, we all got the same 24 hours in a day. It's it's not having more time. It's choosing what we do with our time and what's important right now to do with our time. And so many people, the desire that people have in their heart because they don't know how uh, or they don't feel like they have the time, uh, the desire passes them by. And sometimes people don't live their greatest life. And I'm saying stop. we got to stop this. we got to change this. There's an inner champion that's living inside of everyone. Time and know-how and process is no longer going to be the excuse. And I'm going to bring this system out and I'm going to tell people, learn it. You're going to see it. You're going to understand it. It's going to be relatable to you because it's real life. It's stories. And, and that's why I'm so excited and proud of the book that we put together, for sure.
1: Oh, man, absolutely. And what you are describing is the perfect Embodiment of the word passion. Passion literally means the willingness to suffer for something. And so you're willing to suffer by losing sleep. But here's the other thing in, in the pursuit of your dream and your vision, right? But here's the other thing. On the flip side of that, if you didn't do that, you would be willing to allow your dream and vision to suffer in the pursuit of sleep instead of the opposite. And so there's 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 a trade-off in every decision that we make. And and you, you we have to each weigh what those trade-offs would be and and how they would impact our own ability to achieve and realize our full potential. Yeah, we're gonna live a pain, right? Everybody gets to choose their pain. It's that pain of success
0: is short term, the pain or regret is long term, and it's kind of like we're gonna live one or the other. We might as well pick one.
1: You know, and and one of the keys to growth is to step outside of your comfort of your comfort zone and to put yourself in situations where you have to do things you've never done before you have to do things that you don't believe you're capable of doing that there's some element of doubt there because that's where the power of belief comes from if you didn't belief belief in something or faith in something naturally means that there's a doubt also behind that somewhere Right. And we have to put ourselves out in this uncomfortable place in order to realize what we're capable of.
0: You know, I'm I'm uh, I got this I doing a lot of Facebook lives, I'm doing a lot of different things and and I talk about that 2017 is all about this relentless pursuit for our human potential. And the only way to even discover what we could achieve as human beings is to fail miserably is just to get out there and go for it. And it's like um I tell people, you know, all the time and, and I actually coach people to fail. Go fail. <laughs> go fail. And then just you know, every time we fail, we just gotta get back up. We gotta dust ourselves off. We have to learn and over in order to move forward you know it's not just fail and and fail and fail and fail and fail look the idea is to learn is to get better um is to help us chart new paths and 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 if we'll do this um but you know we live in that society where people care and we give so much merit to what people think about us And I and and I would just tell you, you know, and I tell people all the time, I said, actually, people don't think that long or that much about us. So we might as well go ahead. But, you know, you know, the the embarrassment. Right. And and one of my mentors told me, you know, he's like, Todd, sing like no one's listening, dance like no one's watching and write and love like never before. And it's like when you think about it, sing like no one's listening. I mean, it might be hard. I might, I might have the worst voice. And by the way, I'm a terrible singer, but (laughs) it's like, man, who, who wants to sing in front of a crowd and then have the crowd go, oh my goodness, it's terrible. Right. But if, if we lived life, like we didn't care about the opinion of that critic or by that person, imagine what we would pursue. Imagine what we would pursue if we had this thought in our mind that we're guaranteed success. What would we pursue? but the greatest pursuits and that greatest achievement comes after the greatest failures and those trials and those uncomfortable feelings. And, and the and, I mean, just imagine that if we just, if all we did is live our life around the critics and opinions of others, all we would do is have the
1: goals, dreams, and life of the others. And how boring would that be? Wow, man. I mean, like so true. And, and at the end of the day, if you really really want to boil it down and people are going to argue with me all day long about this, but if you really boil it down, the reason people and including myself, I'm I'm putting myself in this pool, the reason why people are afraid of doing things from time to time, it's because they're worried about losing money. Yeah. That they're they're losing they're worried about losing money. Well, I heard it once said that if money is the problem, then you don't have a problem right and it's it's really it's an easy thing to say. It's really hard to execute. It takes a deep amount of courage. and I think that it's really critical that you have a strong community of people around you who believe in you and will support you through good times and through bad times. This has been a, an incredibly powerful conversation, Todd. you are a, you are a superhuman. And generous, and I, and bef- I have a few more questions, but I want to make sure that we give the opportunity for people to go and buy your book, and and I want uh, you to to plug all your stuff right now where they can connect with you online and get your book. Okay, great, I, I, and by the way, I appreciate it because
0: you know I I spent some time at this, and and it's important, and I really love the way it turned out, and 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 I really believe in my heart. That uh, and I know everybody says this when they're plugging their book. And by the way, this is not a money game for me; it's a help game for me. But I believe it's right. I believe it's 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 it really came together. So, um, look, you can go to madeforsuccess.com, uh, madeforsuccess.com. You can pre-order it right now, um, and I would appreciate uh, the support. But I just know what it can do for you as you read through there. Um, obviously, you can come to toddstoddlmeyer.com and 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 be a part of the community and and be a part of subscribing to the website and, and getting on the email list and the blogs and the videos and all the content that that I'm working really really hard at putting out. And most people can't spell Stoddlmeyer, so I'll keep it simple for everyone. <laughs> you go to toddofficial.com. It's going to take you to the exact same place. Man, I would love for you to come be a part of the community. You know we're doing some cool things and and when i say be a part of the community it's like you know i have people now pushing me from around the world hey todd what about this what about this what about this and and we're we're building blogs and videos and content and and everything that i can in my life is to pour out to people that they can you know they can get the answers that they're looking for videos or and real life story you know it's I tell people all the time, I says, you know, I'm gonna do everything I can not to teach from a book, although I believe that acquiring knowledge from a book is 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 awesome. But I tell people, I said, I I won't I don't want to teach anything that I haven't acquired from a book, an audio or CD or a mentor that I haven't applied. So if I've never applied it, I can't teach it. I have no wisdom and going through the pain and suffering of trying to develop the skill set. So Look, and, and my book is no different. And one of the things, and one of the great things about Relentless Success is, is is each one of the steps I had to live and I had to overcome. And it's why I'm so proud of the book. So, and I appreciate Mike, you having me on, allowing me to plug the book uh, because it's important to our family.
1: Absolutely, and I, and I'm uh, I'm gonna go be pre-ordering that book here today. I can't wait to read it. And I'll 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 send I'll send it to you so that you can sign it for me. T. O. D. D. dot O dot D dot D. And uh, so if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, these are some fun questions. So if you could if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, any skill set that. I possess and turn it into
0: a superpower Uh, inspiration. Mm. I want to be I want to be able to move more people. If I can, I don't want to move a million if I can move 100 million. I don't want to move 100 million if I can move a billion. I don't want to help 1 billion if
1: I could change the world. So that would be it. Wow, man, that's powerful. Do you know what the word inspiration means? To create a movement in others by words that were delivered, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, well, that's close. It means to breathe life into something. There you go. To yeah, provide yeah. hope. To get yeah, people hope again. You know? Absolutely. What are three lies that high performers tell themselves?
0: Three lies high performers can't that tell themselves. I'm the best. That's a lie. lie. <laughs> uh, I've reached the top, the pinnacle. That's absolutely a lie. You can't do what I can do. That's a lie. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm just a massive believer in that. Uh, getting to the top of the mountain is great. Helping no one else get there is the shame. Um, Following comfortable to that place is also a lie. And I just believe that when you get to the top of one mountain, look up, there's another mountain. And it's, it's this pursuit, man. And I'm just, so, I'm so in touch with it right now. It's like uh, every single day, every moment, every conversation, every person I'm around, uh, can I get better? Mike, you you have no idea how you've inspired me on this podcast. And that when I'm done, I'm going to go through and make some notes. Because you're, you're off, your mindset is, is so in touch, but your intellect is so much higher than mine. You have inspired me to be, want to
1: become more. And I appreciate you today, but uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, well, I look forward to keeping in touch and seeing how we can collaborate more in the future. Now, when you are uh, on your deathbed and you're surrounded by your beautiful wife and five kids, how will Todd Stottlemyre measure his life? Yeah, I I pray
0: that it's I've lived to the fullest and that um, every song has been written and that it's 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 almost like playing a game that I left everything out there. I hope I leave every breath, every word, every step. I hope I leave it on the playing field of life.
1: I hope there's not one more step left in me. Mm, Man, Todd, this was a major league episode. I think we achieved a lot today. I'm incredibly grateful for your humility, for your vulnerability, and for just pouring it all out. You obviously came to compete today and to win some hearts and minds. And I think that hopefully technology cooperated with us and we got all of this without any error because it was amazing. Um, So dear God, please let this technology work (laughs) in our favor today. Um, but if not, we will we will pivot. We will overcome. We will do it again. But it was incredibly powerful. I want to thank you for impacting our audience today. Thank
0: you, sir. It was uh, like I say uh, in the introduction. It's an for me. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. I'm humbled um, that people today even want to do interviews with me, and I'm grateful for that because we can get the word out. So God bless you, my friend. And
1: it's been it's been extraordinary. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you, the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the six bridges to personal growth and Well Being. Head over to the impactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download those incredible resources today. Todd, thank you for sharing this powerful and vulnerable and authentic conversation with my audience today. The ideas around the importance of developing personal belief, developing a sense of authenticity and vulnerability, and that will lead to higher and higher levels of of success, incredible. Thank you again, I can't thank you enough. If you missed any of the key points, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 65 for all of the key points and highlights of the conversation with Todd. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and their podcast masters. We could not do this show without them. Now please, one last request, If you've gotten any value up from the show at all, I would love to invite you to write an honest review in iTunes. It seriously does make a difference and helps point more eyes and ears to the show. So if you can go do that on iTunes, I would love it. Now, until next time, you know what to do. Go make an impact.